Welcome to Israel from the Inside, where we try to break out of the echo chamber, surfacing the wide array of often conflicting viewpoints that make up the mosaic of Israeli life. I'm Daniel Gordas of Shalem College in Jerusalem. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can subscribe to these podcasts and join our community of listeners and readers, access the archive of all these episodes, and post comments, interacting with others who share your interest in Zionism, Israel, and the future of the Jewish state. There are very few minds in the state of Israel who to me are as interesting, provocative, insightful, knowledgeable as the mind of Micha Goodman with whom I have the pleasure and privilege of sitting now. Uh, Micha is a philosopher, a public intellectual, a person who's written half a dozen books, each one of which has been a bestseller. In that regard, Micha, by the way, I have a skill that you don't have. Uh, I know how to write a book that's not a bestseller. You don't know how to do that. Someday I'll teach you. It's actually not that hard. Maybe you'll teach me how to write a book that is a bestseller. That's probably a little bit more difficult. Anyway, Micha and I are sitting in his home, and uh, this is obviously a pivotal, critical time for the state of Israel. And we're going to have a conversation about really three basic issues. First of all, Micha, you wrote in Friday's what I thought was a very important, provocative article really directed at the right. That's right. And um, I'll just point out for our listeners who don't, may not know your background, um, you're a religious guy. Like, you know, you're wearing a kippah. I'm wearing a kippah. Wearing a kippah. So I won't qualify with religious. <laughs> you're, you're, you're wearing a kippah. Uh, but you spoke to the right and you gave the right a bit of a, a warning about how to think about this particular period in Israeli history in light of what one might call the law of unintended consequences. I want to begin by talking a little bit about what you had to say to the right and what you hope the right will think about as we move forward politically, uh, jurisprudentially, and so on and so forth. Uh, the second thing that I want to do, and this will probably be in the first half of the two parts that we'll broadcast, is to hear from you a scenario, and again, I'll put it out there, you and I both know, because you said this to me several times before we got started, you're not a jurisprudential scholar, I'm not a jurisprudential scholar. You're not a lawyer, I'm not a lawyer. We're both talking to lots of smart people around the country, though, and hearing things, and I want you to share some of what you've learned from very wise people about the ways in which this is progressing, and it's governments on all sides of the political spectrum that have contributed to this, how this could lead us to really kind of a nuclear moment um, in Israeli political life. And then the third part, which we'll probably broadcast as our second episode with you, is I want to talk about what's really happening here. Not the Supreme Court, not the Knesset, not certain personalities in the cabinet that many people find highly objectionable, but what's happening in Israel? What's happening to Israel's soul? Something very, very deep is happening in this country. And we've done plenty of stuff on this podcast about the technicalities of, of this law and that law. And people have been really, I think, had great explanations from people like Habib Retegur and others. But from you, I want to hear sort of what's happening to the soul of Israel. So first of all, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me in your home. 
Uh, let's start with your article in Makorishon on Friday. You gave a couple of examples about laws of unintended consequences. Give us some of those examples and then tell us what you want the right to learn from those examples. So first of all, I want to explain why I approached the Israeli right, trying to persuade the Israeli right, hardcore right-wingers, that these reform a way too extreme and they're and these reforms don't go there. They should object to them, not because these reforms go against the values of the left, but because they're going to destroy the basic values of the Israeli right. That was my argument. But to understand this argument, first of all, I want to say something about the Israeli right. Within the Israeli right, there's a dormant tension. Yeah, a dormant, a dormant tension. It was always there, but it was never triggered. And now I think it's triggered. A very deep contradiction within the Israeli right. There's two zramim, um, currents. There's or... two ideological currents populating the Israeli right. One, I would say, classic conservative thinking. The second is mythia- messianic thinking. Now, Danny, conservative way of thinking and messianic way of thinking are completely opposites. And the fact that both called right ring is just, I would say, a linguistic accident. Now, Bibi Netanyahu, he's not messianic at all. He doesn't want to transform reality. He wants to preserve the status quo. Now, Bibi Netanyahu is extremely careful. Because conservative thought has always argued that you can't transform reality. You can't transform. You could only, like the way Edmund Perk put it, you could only create very small, subtle, careful adjustments. Why? Because you can't predict the unintended consequences of your actions. You don't have, now, conservative thinkers like Edmund Burke um, and like a leader called Benjamin Netanyahu, always understood that if you think that you can predict the unintended consequences, like the results of your actions and the unintended results of your actions, that is hubris. That is is thinking that in your mind you can understand how history works and no one can understand how history works and therefore we cannot predict our unintended consequences. Which, which, Which would mean that a conservative leader is always a very careful leader. Messianic Politicians, on the other hand, they think they could predict their un- the, the result of their actions. They could predict it because if you're on the extreme left, you have like Karl Marx giving you a prediction of how history is supposed to work. And if you're in the extreme right, you have Prophet Isaiah, the way you interpret him and understand him, that could tell you how history works out, where the future is going. So you have the certainty that enables you to predict the result of your actions. And then you feel very comfortable transforming the status quo and knowing that, that Israel that will be created will be the Israel that you expect that will be created. By your actions. By your actions. So we have these two different understandings of politics within the Israeli right, conservative and messianic. This coalition is trying to unite these opposites, these two brands of Israeli right. Now, um, I would say the future of Israel today will be determined not who will, will, who will win the battle of ideas, the left or the right, but... Who will prevail in the battle of ideas between the two different currents within the Israeli right? The reason why I wrote to Makori Shon this past weekend was because I tried to give strength and intellectual ammunition to the conservative brand of the right in order so it will be strong enough to overcome in the battle of ideas the messianic brand of the right. That was what I tried to do. Um... Give us just a couple of examples. I'll just give you an example. About, well, about the well, 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 I'm very interested in technology, as, uh, as you might know. And here's something very interesting. In the 1990s, uh, when 
the, the digital revolution began, people were very optimistic. They were optimistic how technology, the new technology, is going to create, bring health to democracy. Well, it's going to democratize knowledge and That's information. Right. Because the idea was that knowledge is power, right? And if only elites have, are, have access to knowledge, so only elite, so elites will actually have monopoly over power. They will create a hierarchy that will crush democracy. What happens? Google is invented. The digital revolution happens. And there is this very, I would say, easy prediction. I wouldn't have predicted differently if I was active intellectually in the 90s, that this will lead to democratization of information and therefore to, to more democracy, democratization of power. Well, we know what happened 20 years later. Yeah, there is democratization of information, but there's also democratization of disinformation. That is, unintended that is one of the unintended consequences of the digital revolution. As a result, conspiracy theories that used to be in the periphery of the conversation went mainstream. And, and different groups are living in different bubbles of information. We don't share facts. And as a result, democracies all over the world are under threat. So a revolution that the prediction was will lead to more democracy. And in fact, it's leading to less democracy. Democratization of disinformation has tremendous impact on our democracies today, much more than the democratization of information has. So no one predicted that. No one could have predicted that, but that's what happens. So conservative people have to realize, and do realize, by the way, if they're really conservative thinkers, <laughs> that uh, actions have unintended consequences, and you should have modesty to know that you cannot predict the results of your actions. So here we are in an interesting moment where we have a right-wing government that um, is populated by, that the leader is a conservative politician. Like, a genuine conservative. A genuine conservative thinker, like Benjamin Netanyahu. And for Netanyahu, his conservative, his, and he was always a very careful leader. He was a careful leader. He always tried to uh, protect the status quo on many levels, including the legal system in Israel. It's protecting the status quo. That was always Bibi. When it comes, by the way... My BB's on record is saying that a powerful Supreme Court is critical for the judicial stability. That's right. For example. And he was afraid of real radical changes. He, was, he would only promote very subtle corrections, like a true Burkean. That was BB until very lately. And by the way, that BB might still be alive. He might still surprise us. We might talk about that later on. Right. Well, also, we don't know what Bibi's doing because of genuine ideological belief and what Bibi's doing in order to hold a coalition together so we can stay in power and, also, and avoid I, legal consequences. That's true. And also, I think we didn't hear him yet. He's on not talking to the press at all, by the way. That's right. Not, not to the Israeli press. Right. He's talking to uh, Peterson and to Barry Weiss outside Israel, but he's really not talking to the Israeli press, which is a fascinating phenomenon. But for another time. Okay. Okay, so what's your warning to the right here based on this law of unintended so, consequences? So because we cannot predict the unintended consequences of our actions, we could only guess. And I wanted to offer in the newspaper two, I think, very probable guesses. One, now they're radically reforming the system. What will happen once left-wing, once um, the opposition becomes a coalition? Because the opposition always comes back into power. Yeah. Eventually. That's right. So the first thing they'll do will obviously be cancel these reforms and redesign the Israeli constitution, redesign the balance of powers. And what will happen once the right is back? And <laughs> they'll do it again. <laughs> they'll do it again, which means Israel will stop being a stable country. But every now and then, there's a new government. It will become an unstable country where every now and again, now and then, we have a new regime. We have a new constitution. 
And that lack of stability will make will create a very weak Israel. It's an Israel that nobody will invest in. No one will invest in. People, people won't want to move. Young people who are right. crime of their who lives who want to stay. Long term investments with your life or with your money in a country where you don't know. You don't. I mean, every country don't know who the regime will be in four years. Sorry, we know. Excuse me. In in, in in normal liberal democracies. You don't know who the government will be in four more years, but you can guess what the regime will be. Israel will become a country, but not only you don't know who the government is going to be, you don't know what regime we're going to have. What's going to be the constitution? What's going to be the balance of powers? So that I think that is a highly, I think that's a probable a, a, a result, possible result of this reform. But then I wrote, what happens if when the left comes back to power, it chooses not to cancel the Judaical, Omri? The judicial. The judicial. Uh, what happens when the next left-wing government decides not to reform the, the, the judicial reforms? Not to change what's just been done by the that's right. That's right. And that's also a possibility. This is a second guess. And um, which is very probable. They'll say, you know what? The previous right-wing government gave the government so much power, unchecked, unbalanced. Let's not give it up. Right, because the left will enjoy having that power. That's right. Let's use it in order to crush everything that's important and dear to the right wing, to the previous right wing government, like to crush the yeshiva world, to crush the settlement movement, and they could do it with no problems because there will be no institution that will balance the the power of the government. So these are possible unintended consequences, and conservatives should know this. Conservatives should know that history has a tendency to punish people who think that it can design it and plan it and predict it. So therefore you are urging the right to move very slowly, very carefully. I'm urging the right to be right. To be a genuine conservative right. Exactly. Which means to know that you cannot predict history, you cannot shape history, to be very, very careful about what you're doing because of unintended consequences right. and not to be messianic like some of the voices That's in the That's right. right. I don't think making a liberal argument, saying don't do this because you'll be crushing liberal values, that's not an effective argument. I'm not asking the right to be nice to the left. I'm asking the right to be authentically right. Okay. Very important. That's basically the summary of your Makor Rishon article, um, which is, I don't think, out in English yet or anywhere. It's not in English, but... Um, well, maybe one day you'll put it out. But right now, as of this moment, it's not there. And it was very important to me, having read it over Shabbat. Yeah. And Makor Rishon chose to put it in the front page. Yes, it was on the front page of Makor Rishon. This is a, um, first of all, it's a very philosophic piece. I mean, it's not a political piece. It's not a judicial piece. It's not about this minister did that or that judge said that. It really begins with this whole definition of real conservatism. You give another example of laws of intensive consequences, ironically, where... Tell me where I get this wrong, but basically the advent of the birth control pill in the 1960s ultimately enabled European families to become smaller, which ultimately led to increased migration from other countries to fill the jobs that there were no longer young European people to do, which led to a large influx of Muslim people who were not all that interested in becoming Western European style. And now they've had a huge impact on Europe, you argue. And now there's a kind of... And most importantly, that created a a radical right-wing reaction. Right, a radical right-wing reaction to this massive influx of Muslims. So in a kind of a law of unintended consequences, you argued, I thought, fascinatingly, who would have guessed in the 1960s that the 
birth control pill was actually going to lead to a rise of radical right-wing conservatism, even racist conservatism in Europe. You would never think that, but this was an example of what you're giving. I thought it was a great piece, and it was important for our uh, listeners to understand it. Okay. When I got here a little while ago, we're sitting in your home. Thank you for your hospitality. Uh, you opened the door, and uh, I said, hey, how you doing? And you said, well, you know, I mean, given that the third temple is, you know, about to collapse or might be about to collapse, not bad. And we both kind of giggled and laughed because that's the nature of the discourse people are having these days in Israel. Everybody's sort of got this black humor, dark humor, gallows humor, like I'm doing fine, of course there's no country, I'm doing fine, of course it won't be legal to ask me that in a few weeks. <laughs> and everybody's talking that way, but we're really all deeply very worried. Now again, I want to go back and give the caveats that we said at the, at the beginning. You never went to law school, I never went to law school. You're not a lawyer, I'm not a lawyer, you're not a jurisprudential scholar, I'm not a jurisprudential scholar, but we're both speaking to lots of those people. And you ran by me a scenario where and you'll explain to our listeners some of the ways in which governments on both sides of the seesaw have tinkered with what we call basic laws here, and how ultimately this tinkering with basic laws could lead to a possible scenario where really the government almost doesn't exist. So just explain it with all of the caveats that we've just given. So Israel doesn't have a constitution. I think we all know that. Right. But the constitution that we, but in the constitution that we don't have looks like this. Right. In the founding, well, the first Knesset was supposed to legislate a constitution. It didn't do it, but it, but it did something else. It decided that we're going to legis the, legis the Knesset will legislate okay, so basic laws. Basic laws. Basic laws. And those basic laws, one day, when we add them up, they will become our constitution. So the first, That wasn't the first Knesset, was it, that did basic laws? I think it was a little bit later. I think it was Va'adat Harari that was appointed in the first Knesset, I think. Okay. And Va'adat Harari's... Um, a recommendation was that the Knesset will start legislating basic laws. Okay. And then one day we'll add up those basic laws into our constitution. So instead of legislating a constitution, they decide that, that it will be a work in process for a while. Okay. So the first basic laws were about the foundations of the basic institutions. Like Chok Yesod HaKneset is a basic law that defines what are the authorities of the Knesset. Chok Yesod HaShvita is a basic law that, that, that defines what are the basic uh, authorities of the, um, uh, of the courts. And so they're starting to read, like there are Chok Yesod Messiah Medina is a basic law that defines the authority of the President of Israel. And they're starting. And then, um, and then in 1992, for the first time, our Knesset legislated our, our version of the Bill of Rights. Right. Okay. How do you call how do you say that? The basic law about the uh, dignity of human beings and their freedoms. Which was seen as our version of a basic law not creating the institute not defining the institutions that are governing us, but defining the boundaries of those institutions um, because it create because it legislated that primacy yeah, yeah, the primacy of human rights. That happened in nineteen ninety two. And then later on in nineteen ninety five, um um, the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court. Aaron Barak, the Supreme Court. The, the, the uh, Chief Justice. Yeah, the Chief Justice, Aaron Barak. Um, he defined that law of 1992, the, uh, the, the basic Bill of Rights law, more or less. Basic, yeah, as a law that has that is superior to any other law, which means if any law of the Knesset legislates contradicts that law, so the law that the Knesset legislated is illegal. 
So now, for the first time... And this is what people refer to when they talk about the activist court of Ahun Barak and the judicial revolution of Aaron Barak. It's important people understand, many people argue that what's happening now is simply a counter-revolution to the Barak revolution. That's right. So people just need to understand what that revolution was. It was in 95, taking that 92 law and giving it an unprecedented primacy in the Israeli legal system. That's right. And so from this moment on, 95, the Supreme Court can decide which laws are legal and which laws are illegal because they contradict the, our Bill of Rights, our 1992 Which is a law that the Supreme Court itself decided had primacy. Exactly, exactly. So, actually, I read that law this morning. I don't think it's a very far-fetched reading of the law to say that it has primacy. But that was like the orthodox understanding of that law. It has primacy, and now from now on, the Supreme Court has the authority to, make, to, 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 to cancel laws of the Knesset. Now this was uh, now this is very extreme. Now this means that the, that the Knesset can be judged by the Supreme Court. Now this is ex- now, uh, and and the assumption what? But the Supreme Court is saying no. It's not we are canceling the laws of the Knesset. We are, our power comes from the laws of the Knesset themselves. Because you passed that law. That's right. The basic laws give the Supreme Court the power to cancel laws that are not basic laws. Basically, what the Supreme Court is saying, we are using your basic, your basic laws of the Knesset against your laws, the laws of the Knesset. So it's actually all the power is in the battle, is, in, is was within the Knesset. That's the argument of Aaron Barak, if I understand it correctly, in the Supreme Court. And then a few things started happening the past few years. The Knesset started making corrections in basic laws. Including the government of Naftali Bennett. That's right. Including the of Lapid and Bennett. They started making like very, very easily correcting uh, basic laws. Like, for example, Chok Yesod Hamimshala. Like the basic laws defining the authorities of the government, they made some corrections to enable. No, actually, this started. Remember the government of Le, of Gantz and Netanyahu. It was really the government of Netanyahu, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they, ha- in order to make Gantz the alternate prime minister, the alternate prime minister, they had to change a basic law to do that. Right, because they had to create this idea of an alternate prime minister. That's right. So, in order to enable politicians to play politics. They started making correction in basic laws. And they started doing this more and more. There's the Chok Norvegi, the Norwegian law, which, which I, think, I think makes adjustments in Chok Yesoda Knesset, the, the basic law of the Knesset. Right. So what I'm saying is that we started to notice that, politi- that the basic laws that are supposed to regulate the behavior of politicians, now it's reversed. The politicians are starting to regulate the basic laws. They're starting to make adjustments just so it could, just so it could serve their very local and very mekomi vezmani, very... The temporary and very the, specific. The temporary and very specific political needs of that moment. Right, and by the way, this is not nefarious. They're not trying to create a revolution. No. They're not trying to change Israel. Just basically, Bibi wants Gans to be an alternate prime minister. There's no, there's no job called alternate prime minister, so they changed the basic law, and now there is a job. That's right. Now, imagine, imagine the president could change the constitution 
so it could serve his own political needs. That's kind of unthinkable. Well, that's what we have in Israel. It's because we don't have, we don't have a constitution. Right. The closest thing we have is basic laws. But we don't know. But but there's no tradition that you don't change the basic laws. So instead of the politicians being um, uh, obligated, uh, being restrained, restrained, restrained by the, restrained by the basic laws, the politicians could change those basic laws themselves. So effectively, you're saying. So what's the value of basic laws? At the same time. And in parallel, the Supreme Court did something unprecedented, unprecedented. And in, I think this was 2018, after the Knesset legislated the basic law of Chokal, the, the, um, the, the nation state law. The nation state law. So the Supreme Court got together to decide if that nation state basic law is legal. Now they decided it is legal. But think about it, Danny. Just the fact that they thought that they had the right to convene and have that conversation and decide if it's legal, that means that they think that they have the authority to cancel basic laws. That are passed by the Knesset. That are passed by the Knesset. So now this is... Uh, and so that set off all the alarm bells for the right. Because now, now this is going... This is going... Uh, this is very extreme. Because Aaron Barak said, I only could cancel regular laws using basic laws to do that. Now the Supreme Court is saying... I could cancel the basic laws themselves. Which So who gave you the authority to cancel the basic laws? Because the authority you took to cancel regular laws came from basic laws. So who gives you the authority to cancel basic laws? And I think their answer is, um, we just took it. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, now we're chuckling, by the way, but this is what has the right enraged. <laughs> and those people on the American Jewish left, who are many of our listeners who think that the right has somehow completely come unglued. And I'm not in favor of those judicial reforms in their entirety, and I don't think you are either. But it is important for people to understand that this didn't come out of nowhere, that this came from very aggressive steps on the part of the Supreme Court. Some people think they're legit, some people think they're not legit, but there is a legitimate conversation to be had about those steps. So if the only constitution we have is base, the primacy of the basic laws, and the Knesset could change them whenever they want, and the Supreme Court could can't think they could cancel them whenever they want, it means... We don't have a constitution. So, so it's only a battle of power between the Knesset and the Supreme Court. Okay? So that's the background that took us to this moment. Now and again, I just want to repeat what you said. I'm not a lawyer, and everything I'm saying is based on my conversations with people that, 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 that professionally understand this. So now, where does this take us? Yariv Levine is going to be promoting very extreme reforms. Reforms that effectively cancel the ability of the Supreme Court to balance the Knesset. Now, in Israel, this is very dangerous because you should understand how in Israel, the government has a f- complete control over the Knesset. Because by definition, the government has a majority in the Knesset. Because without a majority in the Knesset... It wouldn't have a coalition. It wouldn't have a coalition. So the government controls the Knesset. So the Knesset is not, is not, is not a check. doesn't balance the government. It's, it's not like in America where you have an executive branch and a legislative branch. Right. Here the executive and the legislative are combined okay. in the Knesset. So the only institution that can balance the government is not the Knesset, it's the Supreme Court. But if the Supreme Court itself is loses its power... Then you have basically one branch without any balance of no, powers. No, Jackson, that's right. So this is very, very extreme, right? Very extreme. So uh, if Aaron Barak, uh, like many Israelis feel took too many authorities to itself and violated the balance between the government 
And the court system... Just to remind people, Aharon Barak, the chief justice of the court right. back in the 90s. So now Yariv Levin, this new reform, is replicating the... It's, it's transforming the imbalance, and now the imbalance will be towards the government. The government will have all the power, has full control over the Knesset, and it's not checked by the Supreme Court. So, with not low probability, after this... After the... Uh, by the way, I don't think it's going to happen. Right, I don't think it's going to happen either. Right. I think some moderated version it's of this is going to happen. Happens. But let's assume it's going to happen. Right. If it's going to happen, and if these reforms will come through, and let's hope we're both not wrong. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's also group thinking. If yeah. that, so with high probability, the Supreme Court will say, "We do not approve. We think that these laws reforming the judicial system are illegal." Right. So in other words, Yariv Levine, who's the Minister of Justice right now, passes his whole package. The Knesset votes for it. And they say, OK, we've now radically changed the judicial system. The Supreme Court, which is arrogated to itself, as you pointed out before, the right to declare certain Knesset laws not legitimate, says, no, those laws that you just passed limiting our power are actually not legitimate laws. We'd say that they have no val- validity That's whatsoever. Right. And then? OK, so, like, so today the Supreme Court could cancel the scissors of the Knesset. I guess I want to cancel the ability of the Supreme Court to cancel the decisions of the Knesset. Right. And then the, and then the Supreme Court will not accept that. Okay. Right. Is that too complicated? No, it's good. Okay, great. Okay, so here we... Now, Israel is in a... Then Israel, we're in new territory. We're in unfamiliar territory. Right. A lawyer that I spoke to yesterday who worked <laughs> at the Supreme Court called that the nuclear moment. That's a nuclear moment. Okay. There's, just no, but there's no roadmap. Okay. So imagine... Okay, so now the next day... Uh, the Supreme Court says it still has the authority to cancel illegal decisions of the Knesset. The Knesset says, no, you have no authority. Okay, so what happens the next day? The next day, let's say, um, some human rights activists, um, they petition to the Supreme Court and saying a certain action of the military as doing towards Palestinians in, in the West Bank, Judea, and Samaria is illegal. The Supreme Court gets together and says, yes, it's illegal. The military can do that. Cannot do that. Cannot do that. It cannot, it cannot, it has to, it has to change its policies. Uh, the government says, no, no, the Supreme Court has no authority over you. You have to continue those policies. Now you are Herzi Halevi. You are the new chief of staff of the army. The new chief of staff of the army. Who do you listen to, the Supreme Court or to the government? That question was never asked before in the history of Israel. And once he's faced with that dilemma... Um, we don't have a government. Let's. We don't have a. I'm not sure we have a country. I'm not sure we have a country, because let's say, let's say the army says, okay, I'm going with the government and not the Supreme Court. The 150,000 Israelis are at the roads now. Will they accept that? They won't accept that, and they might. So what I'm saying is, this this is a cocked. I mean, will will. Uh, I could definitely see Israeli generals resigning from the military. Right. I could see. I mean, we could see a, see lot. a lot of soldiers refusing to serve. That's right. We could see. We're, we're entering chaos. We're entering. We're entering a. We're, we're entering. It's like the singular moment. Like you, you said, nuclear moment. It's like a singular moment in the sense, like like Ray Kurzweil speaks about a moment where beyond that you can't make any predictions. It's so new territory that we can't make any predictions, and we are like two moves away from there, Danny. I hope we're, I hope we're not going to get there. But Israel, so people say, what could end Zionism? So we speak about you know, the nuclear moment. We speak about Iran. Now you mentioned the nuclear moment. I think the end of Zionism is closer than we think it is, and not because of 
Iran, but because of the process that's happening right now in Israel. It's extremely dangerous. And the paradox is that these extreme risks are taken by people who are supposed to be very conservative and careful. Which brings us back to the beginning of our conversation. Yes. The great irony is we are, as you just used the phrase, if that happens, we don't have a country. Right? I said, if that happens, we don't have a government. And you went much further when you said, yeah. if that happens, we don't have a country. And the that, you're arguing, actually is the moment that we could get to because conservatives who are supposed to be very hesitant about their ability to design and uh, shape the future have lost sight of, of that inability and have gone too far and brings us to this place where, for example, the army doesn't know who to follow and then we're really, we're really in no man's land. And that brings us back to sort of what you said to me at the front door when I came to your house, which is, you know, Khurban Bayich the destruction of the third. Yeah, for the first time, I'm always, you see, another problem we have, people are speaking about this is the end, this is the end for so many years. Right now we don't take it seriously. It's like the so crying wolf. So many years. Everything that ever happened, these uh, people on the extreme left were saying, this is the end of Israel. And people on the end, by the way, people on the radical left in Israel are saying Israel, have uh, been saying for years that Israel is not a democracy. So, th so they kind of lost their credibility to say, well, if you do this, we won't be a democracy anymore. I thought we weren't a democracy to begin with. Right. <laughs> right. Well, this is part of the problem of, so the, this is of the, problem. the language that the left has used for a very That's long right. time. That's right. put out a apocalypse um, Right, exactly. Haaretz put out a magazine section this week, which was unbelievably graphically brilliant, which showed the Jewish star between the two stripes on the flag sort of sinking. Yeah. And I just thought it was a, an amazing graphic. And so I just posted it on Facebook, not saying, you know, I now <laughs> believe or whatever. And I cannot tell you how many people wrote to me either publicly or privately and said, you know what, Haaretz is nobody to talk right now because the left has been saying forever that we're not That's really right. going to make it. So I think a lot of that crying wolf, so to speak, is now That's coming back and people are not taking it seriously. That's right. That's right. In Hebrew, there, there's, in Israel, you have this term called azakat emit. Right. Um, like a, not, not a false alarm. Right. The, the, real, the real thing. The real alarm. That, so, so when you have many false alarms going, I remember when I was in the military and you always get false alarms there's a terrorist attack here, a terrorist attack there. You run there, and there's nothing really happened because people are always paranoid. And when that happens too many times... You stop running. You stop running. So um, there was many, throughout the past decades, so many false alarms. And now, this might be the real thing. And, it's, and we have to be able to hear the real alarm and not be, I would say, not, and not, be, um, not letting the previous false alarms hide the unique character of this moment. Okay, very sobering, fascinating, illuminating. In the next conversation we have, we're going to switch gears. We're going to move away from the Knesset. We're going to move away from the Supreme Court. We're going to move away from conservatism. And we're going to talk about the Israeli soul. Because something is happening in this country which is much bigger even than the right versus the left, the religious versus the secular, the Supreme Court versus the Knesset. Something really powerful is happening in this country to the soul of the nation. And there is nobody who speaks more eloquently about the soul of the nation than you do. And that's what we're going to talk about in our next conversation. You've been listening to Israel from the Inside. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can hear more of these episodes. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time. I'm Daniel Gordas.